Good morning, Bridge family. As the man of the house, as PD said, um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Maddie, and I get to serve and volunteer as the assistant pastor here at the bridge, or at the B Ridge, as, as I like to call it from time to time. Uh, and today, I am talking about serving, about serving and the heart of serving. Um, I've been serving at our church for the last seven and a half years. And for those of you that have been here that entire time, you would have met me or you would have first seen me as this single dude coming into this church trying to impress this young, pretty girl. <laughs> and then you would have seen me date that girl. Then you would have seen me be engaged to that girl. And then you would have seen me marry that girl. And um, right now, as we speak... Jenny and I, that same girl and I, Jenny and I, are getting ready to celebrate our sixth wedding anniversary. So this upcoming Thursday is six years of marriage for us, and so cancel your plans, stop what you're doing, we're, kidding, we're killing the fattened calf and having a whole, I'm kidding, we're not doing all that. Uh, but this is what you can do, you can pray for us. Um, you can pray for us that we continue to serve one another and serve the Lord together um, until, until we die. She said it. At this point, we, 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 we finish each other's sentences, right? Um, our marriage, by God's blessing, has been strong and it has been sweet. Uh, and it's only getting sweeter and stronger with every passing anniversary that we get to celebrate. And six years in... I would like to tell you about one of our first dates that we had. Now, don't talk to Jenny after this whole thing that I'm about to do, because if you ask her, she will probably deny that this was a date. But there was an appointed time, appointed place, and an activity that we got to do, and it was between two people who were attracted to each other. So it was a date. Um, it was a Friday night. I picked her up from her house. We drove to this super romantic place. There was music playing. That place is called the Bridge Church. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of people there. It was not everybody knew about it, so it was kind of quiet. It was intimate. Um, but there were, you know, a few others. And what was happening here that night was it was a night where Pastor Dennis had organized um, for people to come in and clean this church. And so Jenny and I were down to do it, and so we showed up, and we got to clean in floors and bathrooms and toilets and vacuuming these floors, whatever that needed to be cleaned, we were there doing it. And this was like really, really early on in, um, in my time here at, at the bridge and in our relationship, and that was really the first time that I got to meet Pastor Dennis. And he was there that day. He was organizing and leading that whole thing. Um, some of the other people that were for sure here that I remember are Pastor Jeanette, Carlos De La Salas were here, and their sons, Vinny and Dean De La Salas, were also here. And so these people just came, showed up on a Friday night, and just got to cleaning the church and getting it ready for Sunday. And I'm sharing that with you because Jenny and I had that sweet, hot date um, <laughs> back then. <laughs> And it was easy then for me to fall in love with her, and it's easy for me to fall in love with her over and over again because 
I have found this partner, I found this person who sees the same value in serving me and serving others and as, as I serve her and serve others as well. And so there is a partnership there and it's made um, our lives and our marriage so much easier because we're busy serving one another. If you look at our marriage or at any point uh, in our marriage, you would see that it is marked with us having the desire to serve our friends, our church, our families, um, the people that we work with, um, and that continues to be so. And that's one of the reasons why it's been as smooth, it's been as wonderful, and um, it, it's why she still likes me. And so on this idea of serving and giving and loving others, um, I want to let you know that we have all been taught so much about all that stuff. And my job today is to get us to stop thinking some of the, in, in some of the ways that we were thinking before and start having some new thoughts about how we see cer certain things. So the world teaches us and our culture teaches us where we spend our money, uh, where we spend our time, who we give our attention to, where to direct our efforts, all of that has to be super calculated. Our culture says that time is money. Time is money. So don't go spending your time and don't go spending your money doing this or doing that. Make sure that whatever you do is actually worth it. We've been taught to ask this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And we take every opportunity and possibility and everything that we get to do, we examine it through the lens of how can this thing benefit me? How can this thing profit me? You and I have been trained in this way, and it has the possibility, it has the potential for it to be a blessing for us because it is discernment, it is wise at times, but there is a danger that when we bring it into the kingdom of God and we start thinking that same way, then we begin to miss a lot of what the kingdom of God is actually about. So, with that said, here is your first note of the day. Don't bring your old ways into a new kingdom. Say it with me. Don't bring your old ways into a new kingdom. In other words... Don't bring your trash into a new kingdom. Don't bring your stinking thinking into a new kingdom. You know that the, your Bible, my Bible, our Bible says that you don't put old wine into new wineskin. And all of us run into this problem, whether you're new to this and you're just following Jesus now or you're not following Jesus yet or you've been following Jesus for 30 years. We all run into this problem. you got to watch out for it. But ultimately, your old ways cannot, will not, won't ever work in the kingdom of God. You with me? Um, one of the words that I'm going to continuously use throughout my message today is, or one of the phrases, is the phrase or the words, Jesus follower. And if you're like, well, why does he keep saying Jesus follower? Why doesn't he just say Christian? Um, I... And I know that Pastor Dennis does as well. He uses it quite often. We like the term Jesus follower because Christian seems to be a little bit more ambiguous. And you're like, what does a Christian do? Well, there's a whole lot of things that have already happened and 
You may have your own ideas. But what does a Jesus follower do? Follows Jesus. And so there's that clarity. And so if you hear me say that, know that I'm talking about Jesus um, followers. And so this idea that um, we get tempted to bring our old ways into this new kingdom, we're dealing with that in our text in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians is a book of the Bible in the New Testament that is written by the Apostle Paul. And when he is writing uh, to this uh, group of people, to this church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, he is writing with passion and urgency because he sees that these people who are now saved in Jesus are bringing their old ways into their relationship with Jesus. In Ephesus, they believed in a goddess named Diana. And your relationship with Diana would have been determined on how you feared her and how you trembled at her and how uh, you were scared and afraid of her. And they thought and they believed that if you were afraid of her, she would bless you and she would protect you. So now these people get saved and they're starting to walk it out as Jesus followers. And as they're doing that, they're acting the same way that they did back then when they were worshiping Diana they're acting the same way as they're worshiping Jesus. And so Paul says, uh-uh, we got to put an end to that. And so he writes with passion and urgency. And we're going to read um, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the whole thing. So if you haven't read your Bible this week, I got you. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it with you. We're going to read it in the message translation. And one of the reasons why I'm having us read the whole thing, if you're like, well, why are we reading this? This is a lot. Is because... Um, throughout the message, he keeps the author, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he keeps drawing such a wonderful balance of saying, this is how it was, and this is how it's going to be. This is something that is mirrored by Jesus in the uh, Sermon on the Mount when he kicks off his ministry, when he first basically puts out a declaration of, of statements that, uh, that he says, like, this is what the new kingdom is going to be like. Jesus says, you have heard it said, X, Y, and Z, but I say to you, the world has been telling you this, but I'm saying to you that, and he introduces to us a whole new way of living, thinking, and being, and serving, and loving, and all that good stuff. And so Paul, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is writing to these people in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, And so I'm going to read it. You can follow along. We're going to read it in the message translation, which is so easy to listen to. It's very, it's romantic. It's it's all paragraphs, so it's nice. Um, You know, it'll give you, yeah, (laughs) the context will be be there. And so uh, from verse 1, Paul says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant, life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing whatever we felt like doing, whenever we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense with mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. 
He did this all on his own with no help from us. And then, then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Verse 7. Now God has where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Verse 11. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way that God works. You hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. You hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because Christ dying, dying that death and shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether, you're in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us. So that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall that we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. And then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and he preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. Now lean in a little bit more because this last part is super important. He says, well, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home, and he's using us all in what he's building, irrespective of how we got here. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You see the balance there? This is how it was, but this is what God is doing now. So stop thinking how it was and start thinking how God is doing now. I don't know what you heard in that text, but this is what I see. 
if we got a full grasp of this, if our church had a real revelation of what this text is about and we actually took it and we ran with it, we would begin to see things in this church that we have never, ever seen before. And I'm not just saying that because it's, it's, it's an inspirational thing to say or whatever. I'm saying that because there's evidence of it in the Bible, and I'm going to show it to you. Before I get to that, I'm going to give you three different examples. Pastor Maddie's up here preaching, so we got we to bring sports into it. Here's your first example. A lot of times, excellent players, um, athletes that play for certain teams are not able to reproduce or have the same results when they get transferred or traded into new teams. And one of the reasons, the most common reason, is because they are now playing for a new coach with a new set of teammates in a new system with a new philosophy. And unless they figure out how to quickly uh, pick up that philosophy and learn how to run with it, if they can't do that quickly, then they begin to struggle and struggle and struggle. And then there's media pressure and all that stuff. And then their career in their new team never, ever um, reaches its potential. So my prayer is that none of us here are that player that gets transferred into a new team and refuses to get with the program. Somebody say, it's time to join God's home team. Earlier when I was talking about how we extract uh, benefits from every community and from everything that we join, this is what I'm talking about. Everything that you and I have joined up to this point, whether it's our gym, whether it's our book club, whether it's whatever, whether it's our church as we go church shopping and church hopping, we do it so that it benefits us. Your decision was influenced by the benefits, the profits, the gains, and the value that it would add to your life. And again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you bring that kind of thinking into how you're dealing with Jesus and how you're serving Jesus and serving others, then you begin to miss a point. I wonder how different it would be if we said, well, look at this community. Look at what I can add to it. If we started thinking that way, it'd be a game changer for us. Because the reality, unfortunately, and this is your second example, unfortunately, the church flows kind of like an NFL game. At an NFL game, you have over 50,000 people who are unfit, who desperately need the exercise. They're sitting around eating junk food, and they are watching 22 of the fittest athletes getting the workout of their lives. You guys heard of the 80-20 um, rule, where 80% of the people are doing 100% of the work? Mm -mm. Yeah, see, they got, they got me there like, that doesn't sound right. No, that's not right. The 80-20% rule says that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. Those are scary numbers. I wonder what the other 80% are doing. Somebody say, it is time to join God's home team. The curious thing is that, though this is what we're struggling with now, um, even the people who traveled and walked and lived and ate with Jesus were struggling with the very same things back in his day. 
Remember how I shared about how when Jesus kicked off his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about this new uh, set of ideas and principles that we were to apply to one another. The most constant one that we see there is about how we ought to humble ourselves and serve one another. They don't catch it. So years later, he, Jesus is with them for about three years. And about three years later, there's a moment in Matthew chapter 20 where James and John approach Jesus with their mother. And their mama says, Jesus, bless these two boys of mine so that they can be seated in heaven with you. One at your right hand and one at your left hand. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. If you want to share in my glory, then you got to share in my suffering. There's so much suffering and pain that comes, comes before the glory. So you don't know what you're asking for. So Jesus is over here dealing with mama and her two boys. And then the other ten disciples are over here seeing, like, this conversation go on. And we're going to pick it up from there in Matthew chapter 20 from verse 24 to 28. This is how it reads. The other ten disciples were listening to all of this. And a jealous anger arose among them against the two brothers. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to his side, and he said, Kings and those with great authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. Again, he's saying, this is how it is. But this is not your calling. You will lead by, complete, you will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served, but to serve and give his life in exchange uh, for, salva for the salvation of many. So, Sermon on the Mount, miracles, 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 signs, wonders, they get to see Jesus heal a whole bunch of people. They get to actually see him serving others. Then they're filled with jealous anger that two of them are getting prayers, prayer requests with Jesus that they would be seated, one on his right one. Hmm, interesting. Some time passes. Jesus is now addressing his disciples among a larger crowd of people. This crowd of people had the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were the religious leaders and scholars of the day. Uh, and these guys were obsessed with the idea that Jesus was a phony. And so they kept asking him questions to uh, try and trap him to make sure that uh, they can basically prove to the public and everybody else that he is a false prophet or he is not the Messiah. And so they would ask him questions about taxes, and they would ask him questions about the anointed son of David and marriage and resurrection and so much more. Just so many different topics. They'd be asking him questions, and Jesus just gracefully and graciously and with so much mercy answers, and he silences them, and he silences them. First, he starts with the Sadducees, and then, he's, and then he goes to the Pharisees. And once they're all silenced, then Jesus begins to um, address his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 23, from verse 8 to 12, Jesus says, But you are to be different from that. The thing that he had said right before it was, he pointed to those religious leaders of the day, and he said, uh, These guys teach about Moses and David and God's faithfulness to the people of Israel as he led them out of Egypt. They talk about all the awesome things that you read in the Old Testament or in the Torah. 
And yet, the way that they walk and the way that they live their lives is as if they're not reading any of that. It's as if it has absolutely zero effect in their hearts. And so he says, though you're listening to, their, to them teaching, he says, don't do how they do. He says, do how I do. And so in verse 8, he says, but you are to be different from that. You are not to be called master, for you have only one master. And you're all brothers and sisters. And you are not to be addressed as father, for you have one father who is in heaven. Nor are you to be addressed as teacher, for you have one teacher, the anointed one. The greatest among you will be the one who always serves others. Remember this. If you have a lofty opinion of yourself and seek to be honored, you will be humbled. But if you have a modest opinion of yourself and you choose to humble yourself, you will be honored. Do you see a pattern here? Over and over and over again, Jesus says, stop thinking that way. I'm introducing a new set of ways for you to live. They still miss it. The night, this is my last one, the night before Jesus is taken, in one of the most important settings to Jesus' followers even to this day, the Last Supper, communion, they're all gathered, and his disciples begin to fight about, like, who should be closest to him, who should sit next to Jesus. You know how when you get to be asked uh, to be the best man at a wedding, it is an honor? It was kind of like the same thing for them. They're like, I, I got to be next to Jesus because I'm the one that he loves the most. And, and they begin to fighting. They begin to fight one another. And as they're doing that, um, Jesus pulls out a bucket of water and he grabs a towel and he begins to wash their feet. They're completely shocked by what's happening. And again, the first time they hear him speak, he says, serve one another. On the night before he's taken, he's modeling it out and showing them how to serve one another. And in John chapter 13 from verse 12 to 17, he says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me, oh, I think I have a different translation in here, so I'm going to read it from there. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, this passage really hits home for me because Pastor Dennis washed my feet. On Friday, October 21st of last year in 2022, Jenny and I got a call from PD, Pastor Dennis, around 2.30 and he just randomly called. You guys at home? Yeah. What's up? I'm coming over. Okay. Are you good? Yeah, I've been praying for you, Maddie, and there's some things that the Lord has shown me. He's shown me that um, your feet have picked up a lot of dirt along the way, and they need to be cleansed. They need to be cleaned. 
they're heavily burdened and they need to be washed. Like, okay, come on over. <laughs> so he comes over, and now that's a very, you know, it's a very figurative thing, right? Um, that my feet have picked up a lot of burden and all that stuff. And so I'm like, is this actually going to happen? So he shows up. Y'all got a bucket? <laughs> yeah. Okay, put some water in it. Y'all got a towel? <laughs> yeah, we have one. <laughs> okay, get the towel. <laughs> Just the one towel. It's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on to actually wash my feet. Um, we can show him the pictures. We have pictures from that day. Um, we don't have pictures from that day. They're not showing up. Um, but we have pictures from that day. <laughs> on, that, on that day, my wife, my mother, who happened to be with us at the time, um, who was, like, totally shocked. I'm like, what is going on? Like, does this happen every Friday? No, it doesn't. Um, my roommate, who's like a little brother to me, all of us just witnessing this like incredible act of servitude. And let me, let me pause there real quick because I think that some of you in here need to do a foot washing. You might need to go home. You might be a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. Um, you might need to go home and wash somebody's feet. Some of you guys might need to ask the question, how can I serve you better in your home? See, it all starts at home. If it ain't happening at home, it ain't, it ain't going to happen anywhere else. So, on that day, this brother literally just <laughs> washed my feet, prayed for me, gave me a hug, and he left. And so when I read that passage about Jesus washing his disciples' feet and he says, serve one another, I know that Pastor Dennis, he gets it, which is why I get excited when he preaches and he casts vision about Bridge 300, about how he has a vision to see the bridge become a church of 300 strong people who see and who, who have a revelation of what it is to serve, what it is to serve as Jesus would have us serve. When he talks about that, I know that that's where our church is headed. And when you catch that revelation, something crazy begins to happen. Those disciples of Jesus, they walked with him for three years. They had Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the greatest there ever was. They were with him for three years. And yet, the things that they did, when you look at the things they did when they were with Jesus and after Jesus had gone, the things they did after were far greater. And one of the things that happens is, after Jesus is gone, they actually get the revelation of what it is to serve one another and serve others. When Jesus dies, gets buried, and then he rises or he, he rose again and goes into heaven, they get sent into a place and they wait there for 10 days. 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and that's when they begin to start their own ministry. 
They begin to share the teachings of Jesus, and they begin to actually serve one another. And we're about to end, so our worship team can uh, join us up here again. So 10 days later, they begin to actually serve one another and serve those that they met. And we see this in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 closes with this statement. It reads, every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Another version says, God was adding to their numbers day by day. Right before it, what was happening was they began to sell whatever they had. They began to let go of a whole lot of things and just make things happen so that whoever had a need that needed to be met, those needs could be met. If you're still thinking, well, what's in it for me? Let me ask you a question. I didn't think this when I began serving at this church or when I began serving the people in my life. But looking back, do you understand how much hell I've avoided because I've been, serving, I've been busy serving Jesus in my 20s? Do you understand how many fights I have avoided with my wife because I've been busy serving her and she's been busy serving me? Do you understand how I've been served and seen and loved by the people that I serve? Even if, the, if people don't serve you right back, even if it doesn't happen right away, there happens a moment where people do catch the revelation of what it is to serve. And from there, relationship, your relationship with them becomes a whole different thing. It has a new glory to it. If you call the bridge your home church and you're not plugged into one of our serving teams, it is time to join God's home team. There are so many easy ways that you can take this next step. You might be like, I need to, for the next six months, for the next six months, I'm committed. I want to serve twice a month. Two Sundays out of the month, I'm going to serve here at the bridge. Great. We got a place for you. Let's talk. If you're like, I can't commit to a time like that, but whenever there's a project here, a project there, whenever something comes up, please let me know because I would love to serve with one-off things. Great. We got room for that too. Two weeks from now on Saturday, the 25th of March, we have a team of people who do have that revelation of what it is to serve. So they are from Kansas City. Um, the House of Prayer in Kansas City, and they're flying over here, and they're going to spend a few days partnering with different churches. And on that Saturday, they're going to be with us here at the bridge for about three or four hours just serving us. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to invite our church to also join that serve day so that as they're here serving, we are too. We have a list of things that we can get done, a list of things that are for spring cleaning or for beautifying this place so that we are that much more ready to welcome some new friends and new uh, faces this upcoming Easter season. And so if you're around and available on Saturday, April 25th, plan to be here. What'd I say? I didn't say that. Um, 
March 25th. Plan to be here. March 25th, plan. And if you're not available on that day, you have about two weeks. Move some things around, cancel some plans, be here. It is that important. Because when our church begins to serve the same way that the Acts chapter 2 church, chapter 2 church was serving, you're going to see this place going to a whole nother level. And you'll begin to see things that you've never seen in this church. And so as God is building this church and building us in it, I would love for us to read that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22 um, scripture one more time. And thanks, Daniel. You guys can text home team to 66866 to get more info on that serve Saturday. Home team as one word, I believe. Amen. So I'll give you a second to do that. And when you're ready, let me invite you to stand to your feet. God is building this church, as God is building his church. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 19 to 22, and then we'll worship. Ready? Read. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all in what he is building, irrespective of how we got here. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together we see it taking shape day after day a holy temple built by God all of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home 